Good afternoon, everybody. It's Steph. Hope you're doing well. It is 1.33. Oh, Daddles has been up since the ungodly hour of 5.30 this morning when Princess Isabella decided to grace the awake world with her presence. And uh, it's now 1.30. I'm heading off to the gym to try and shake some life into these tired bones. I hope you're doing very well. So... This is part two, uh, and I may do more parts to this because I think it is very interesting, but this is the uh, look at the Democrats, and I hope it will be of interest to you. So, I don't think I'm particularly the first to say it, may not, may not be the last, um, that Republicans are like the angry dads, uh, you know, they're sort of uh, managed by fear. And the Democrats are like the, the guilt-inducing moms who, who manage through guilt and manipulation. And these are very broad uh, categories, so to speak. But I think they're still, it, it's still not a bad place to start. And so if we look at the general characteristics of Democrats versus Republicans, um, Republicans, they tend to be homogenous in their view of the inside of the country and the polarization is us versus them outside the country right so it's uh it's not a yin yang thing it's not a tao right it's it's we are we the circle we the country the circle are unified and and one and outside there are all these uh, enemies and uh, those enemies can come in, you know, like Al-Qaeda, like Mexican workers, uh, and, uh, and so on, rampaging cannibalistic Canadians and so on. But there's, there's the, the, the general projection of enemies is, is outside, and that, of course, is a very primal and primitive, patriarchal, masculine kind of tribal view of the world, that we are the tribe, we are one, and uh, outside the tribe are forces of malevolence that we must guard against their infiltration and so on. And this is why there's this, this fear and this hysteria, right? And they live in a world of, of attack. And as mentioned uh, in the last show, the attack shows up. Uh, it, it is self-attack initially. All attack upon others is, is founded upon self-attack initially. The attack on others is merely to attempt to regain power, to, to regain some sense of equilibrium. There is the self-attack of, of religion, which translates itself into the uh, you know inner good, outer bad, and in a metaphorical way that I would hesitate to prove, but I think is still somewhat relevant. Uh, that translates to the inner soul of God uh, is good, the outer shell or body of the devil is bad, right? And so there is that aspect as well of how the Republicans approach the world, and so the us versus them in Republicanism is internal versus external. Now, that does not always necessarily mean in the country or out of the country, because many Republicans, particularly more on the libertarian side, and many libertarians as well, minarchists, view the local as the good and the remote as the bad, right? So most Republicans are like, USA, USA. Uh, You know, some Republicans are like, my town, my town, right? And federal government is equivalent to being ruled by, you know, French fags or something. So, uh, so that hostility towards the federal government is even more local in the Republican mindset 
And uh, that, that, I think, is important to, to recognize as well, that it's, it's very much an us versus them. The us is local and the them is external. For the most part, it's USA, foreign countries, to a smaller degree. Uh, it is, you know, let's secede if we're Texas, because the federal government is foreign. But that's not how the Democrat mindset works uh, in particular. The Democrat mindset is international. It's more international in flavor. Right, so when France did not support the American invasion of Iraq, Americans got all kind of pissy about French fries and, I mean, just hysterical, bizarre, creepy, weird nonsense like that. But the Democrats look to other countries and say, gosh, you know, Canada has this great healthcare system and Sweden has this great social safety net. And, right? So they're, they're not an us versus them in that way. However, the Democrats are, are class baiters in a way that the Republicans are not, right? So the, the Joe the Plumber is, uh, you know, the, the working class hero, uh, fits into the Republican paradigm quite well because the Republican paradigm is not primarily class-based, but tribe, tribal-based, or rather the tribe is the nation, right? It's geographical, it's not class-based. But because the Democrats come out of the, the communists, the Fabian socialists, uh, and uh, the socialists as a whole, their, um, their us versus them is class-based. And because communism has had an international character since its beginning. It is international communism. It, is, uh, it has a hostility towards the nation-state because it believes that the rights and needs of workers uh, are, are universal uh, and countries are, are insignificant and, and dis- nationalism is a, dis- is a distraction. And so because the Democrats have their roots in this kind of utopian socialism and communism, they don't view foreign countries as, as enemies. Uh, they, they, because they're enemies, like they hate the rich in all countries, right? And, and so their enemies uh, are class-based. And that is, that is quite interesting, uh, which is why, of course, they associate the Republicans with the rich, uh, which is uh, not much, not, it's not even a half-truth because uh, Republicans appeal quite, uh, uh, to quite a large degree to uh, lower, uh, to lower middle-class uh, whites. I mean, it's it's big, right? I mean, it's the uh, it's the gun-toting Republican uh, out uh, shooting his Dan Quayle, right? So the Democrats uh, are internationalists and are class-based. And again, I'm not saying these are staggeringly original, but I think that the history and the organization can be useful, and hopefully we'll get it into stuff that's mildly original as we go forward. Now, the difference. And, and in my experience, uh, Democrats are smarter than Republicans, which is not to say better people. And, not, and it's, intelligence is very dangerous, right? It can be a real problem. But Democrats are smarter than Republicans, and it requires a more ironic, ambivalent, and sophisticated mindset to be a Democrat than it does to be a Republican because the Democrat argument is based on a, a nonsense-based argument, right? So the nationalist argument is in your face. It's geographical, it's local, you can see it, you can touch it, it's my country, you look at a map and blah, 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 right? So a knee-jerk, reactionary, perceptual, range-of-the-moment, base-of-the-brain thinkers, or people, which go all the way to the top levels of republicanism, they can process physical proximity very easily, right? It's not a very sophisticated argument to say USA, USA. It is 
a more sophisticated, which is to say taller than Danny DeVito, it is a more sophisticated argument to process class warfare than it is to say, my country right or wrong. Right, so it takes it takes more intelligence. Like the Democrats actually have an argument. Obviously, they're completely wrong, but they have an argument. Whereas the Republicans just have the geographical reach around. Right, they just have you're you're close. <laughs> they all they have is proximity and passion, insanity, intensity, hysteria. Right, but the Democrats they actually have an argument, and so it takes more intelligence. It takes more abstract reasoning and, and processing to be a Democrat, which is why uh, Democrats tend to be a lot funnier, right? Because intelligence uh, and humor is, is quite related, and it takes a bit of an ironical and distant view of things to get good comedy going. And I'm no comedy expert, but that's sort of my, my understanding of it. And this is why comedians who are, I mean, obviously verbally very intelligent, are a very uh, ten, ten, uh, comedians, entertainers, uh, uh, and, and musicians, and all the people who have that kind of fluid intelligence uh, tend to be uh, tend to gravitate more towards the the Democrat side because they're smart enough to recognize that geographical proximity is not a good basis for a political philosophy. Right? They get that much at least, uh, but uh, they're not smart enough to move beyond the worlds of words that are created with these. Uh, with these kind of arguments. So I, I think that's a very important aspect of the democratic mindset. And and it, to me, it explains a lot about the different types of people who are drawn to... I don't know if IQ studies have been done between Democrats and, uh, and Republicans. And because guilt is a more sophisticated method of control than fear, right? Like, it's it's... It's relatively easy for an idiot to bully a kid into giving him his lunch money, right? I mean, it's relatively easy, right? You just shake your fist and, and growl and so on, right? And, you know, the kid's going to do a rational calculation of, you know, two bucks versus new teeth, right? And so it's relatively easy and doesn't take any brains and takes a very primitive mindset to rule by fear, right? But it takes um, more cunning and more language skills and more creativity and more, uh, a more of a fluid and sensitive personality to, uh, to rule by guilt, right? So I think those two aspects of things are very important, and that's why uh, it, it is a, a step forward to go from republicanism to, to being a Democrat. I, I don't mean morally. I just mean in terms of the sophistication of the argument and the emotional and intellectual apparatuses that are required to sustain the, uh, the belief. And this, of course, is also why uh, women tend to be a little bit more Democrats and men tend to be a little bit more Republican. All right, so we continue with the gym, and I do appreciate your patience with the background noise. It's uh, strange but true that uh, podcasts for me are a form of disinhibition, and uh, I just find that I don't podcast nearly as well when I'm not distracted by other things like lifting girly weights and so on. So... uh, I just thank you for your patience as I uh, as I work through this. Now, the the, the two mechanisms that we're talking about in terms of control uh, is is direct control, which is physical threat and fear, and the other is um, uh, is is indirect control, which is uh, which is guilt, right? So, to take a uh, a silly example, um, if we look at these two paradigms, how do you get other kids money? from 
uh, like their lunch money if you're a bully, well, uh, you can um, you know, shake a fist in their face and threaten to punch their lights out. Uh, or you can say, I'd like you to contribute for the kids who don't have nearly as much as you do and, and, and that kind of stuff, right? Uh, with, with the sort of guilt aspect. And I understand that the, the latter does not violate the NAP, but that is the cover that the Democrats use, right? It's sympathy for the less fortunate uh, that they use as the cover for the thefts that they believe are, uh, are moral. Now, in, in many ways, uh, people who can handle uh, more complex concepts tend to be less aggressive, right? Because aggression is the hysterical reaction formation that overlays ambivalence, right? So if you're deeply ambivalent, but you can't handle it, then you simply get aggressive when situations trigger your ambivalence, because ambivalence triggers self-attack, guilt, right? You're not only supposed to believe one thing, you know, Jesus is Lord, USA, USA. So when the doubts about the virtues of that come up, people get uh, very hysterically aggressive, which is more on the Republican side. If you can handle a little bit more ambivalence, then you tend to be less directly aggressive. And uh, I think that's, that's sort of important. Like, it's, it's really hard to think that Bill Clinton would have started the war in Iraq, right? which is not to say that he didn't bomb, you know, Sudan or whatever, right? Uh, Libya. But, but it's hard, and he didn't sort of get involved in Kosovo, but, but it's hard to think that he would have started some massive war. Now, it's hard to say. Uh, I think he would have gone into Afghanistan, but I doubt he would have gone into, uh, into Iraq. And again, we're talking, you know, this is, not, this is not black and white. These are all degrees, right? But I do find that uh, Democrats are funnier. Democrats usually are better read. Democrats are more comfortable and familiar with other cultures. They're more comfortable and familiar with multiculturalism. Uh, and they tend to operate more on guilt than they do on, on fear, right? So, so Bill, Bill Clinton's autobiography was all about his desire to create a more perfect union, right? Uh, whereas if George Bush ever writes it, it's going to be about, you know, protecting the homeland and uh, waging the war on terror and so on, right? And, and, I mean, this is why the war on terror, the name was chosen by the by. I mean, it, it is actually a war on terror. It's a war on your own terror, right? Because war combats your own terror. So, um, I think that's... <laughs> I just sort of wanted to throw that in by the by. So... If we look at, and, and again, to polarize these perhaps too broadly, if we look at these as masculine, traditional masculine, traditional feminine ways of approaching, the, the challenge of femininity has always been to influence decisions when being in no position to command decisions, right? It is a slave mentality, right? Not because women are slaves, but because that's how they were treated throughout most of human history, and still to a large degree in the present, particularly in non-Western countries. So there's this basic problem uh, that the woman needs to get things done, needs to have decisions made, needs to have control over her environment, but she's smaller, weaker, and uh, perpetually disabled with pregnancy, post-childbirth, breastfeeding, and so on, right? So how is it, uh, how is it that the woman can begin to influence, right? So in My Big Fat Greek Wedding, the woman says, the man is the head of the household. It's true, but the woman is the neck and turns the man's head any which way she wants, right? And, and that is uh, a traditional and funny um, approach, right? That, that women are the powers behind the throne and, and women have these indirect ways of, of, making, uh, of having men make decisions 
And of course, the thing is that the woman manipulates the man into thinking that he has made the decision when she is the one, in fact, who is, uh, who is, you know, controlling the puppet strings, right? And that, of course, is is uh, interesting to think about when you think about Laura Bush and the invasion of Iraq or American women in general and the war, right? To what degree were the men being run by the women in that context? That would be something worth exploring, and I'm sure some people have. So if you come across that, do do let me know. So the women have developed these uh, emotionally manipulative ways of getting their way, right? For reasons of, of weakness and disability through childbirth and, and so on, they sort of couldn't do the fear thing, right? I mean, they can do the fear thing on their uh, young children, right? And, and it is very, I think, common and tragic that the aggression against women that is common throughout history and across much of the world is so consistently acted out against young boys uh, and uh, by mothers, right? And, and so on. And we can see, th- those of us who've had uh, uh, abusive or highly dysfunctional mothers uh, can see that, that when we're young, there's the physical threat, and then when we get older, it all becomes about the, the verbal acuity, the debate uh, that goes on, uh, the, the control, the manipulation, the guilt, the, you know, don't you love me, and if you loved me, you would, you would do what I ask, and, and so on, right? It becomes all about that. Uh, that kind of stuff. And that is the transition to me from Republican to Democrat, right? So <laughs> all uh, abusive mothers are Republicans when the kids small and when kids get older, they switch to, uh, to Democrat and rely on guilt and manipulation and, and verbal control, right? Which is another reason why uh, the people who are more adept, uh, who are more adept verbally uh, tend to be on the, uh, the Democrat side, because it's, that's about the verbal control of the gun, right? I mean, the, the Republican side is the muscular control of the gun, the Democrat side is the verbal control of the gun. And those two are very different. And this is why, of course, you know, uh, a lot of people who are sort of no-neck sports heroes tend to be more on the Republican side. And a lot of the people who end up in the media, right, the writers, the reporters, uh, the artists, and so on, who are more verbally acute, have either inherited or had provoked that verbal acuity through manipulation uh, on one or both parents, probably the mother. And therefore, the war of words rather than the war of fists that is waged by Democrats versus Republicans is much more in tune with their skills, abilities, and uh, nature, right? The war of words is is waged by the powerless, as we've talked about, and as Nietzsche has talked about before, right? That they attempt to infect the physically stronger with the hooks and puppet strings of guilt and, and control that way because they're physically weaker, right? And so it's the aged, it's the women, it's and so on, the children who tend to, to be more that way. And, of course, if you look at the focus of Republican efforts versus the focus of Democrat efforts, you can very clearly see that they tend to fall along gender lines, right? So the focus of the Republicans is, you know, law and order, protecting the borders, war, criminality, protection of property, justice, you know, crime and and punishment and so on, right? And these would, you know, generally tend to be traditionally masculine concerns. And uh, uh, conversely, if you look at the concerns of uh, the Democrats, it's uh, healthcare, right? Why, Why is it healthcare? Well, because uh, it is women who take care of the sick, uh, in general. And uh, what else is it uh, for 
Well, it is uh, for uh, pensions, right? Uh, social security. Why? Because it is women who take care of the aged, right? And uh, what else uh, is it? Uh, uh, is it all about? Well, they're about education, right? Public school, teacher unions, and so all Democrats, right? Why? Because uh, mothers. Uh, traditionally, um, mothers are responsible for and invested in and home to oversee or at least to, to work with uh, the education of the children, right? So that's their, uh, that's their focus, right? And uh, so because it is a... Uh, and again, when I use the word feminine, I don't mean all women and I generally mean that which has been inherited from a highly dysfunctional past and a largely dysfunctional present. But... For, for the traditional patriarch, the threat comes from outside the tribe, right? And, and from the young inside the tribe, which is why Republicans tend to be, you know, eye-rolling and aggressive kids these days, right? Because they represent the elder patriarchs who are being threatened by the young and the, the growing strength of the young, right? So that's um, one aspect. But the class stuff, right? The class stuff is fundamentally not about class, right? If you look at class conflict in its essence, it is about the exploitation of the weaker and dependent by the more powerful and brutal. And the, the sensitivity and intelligence tends to lie with the oppressed. And the uh, brutality and, and uh, selfishness tends to reside with the oppressors, right? Now, why would anyone believe all of this nonsense uh, called Marxism and socialism and so on? I mean, most people don't even know any capitalists, right? <laughs> but the reason why it's believable is that this is the feminine view of the patriarchy, right? Uh, because the patriarchy uh, is, is... The class is, is simply about the patriarchy, right? Um, and, and the capitalists are the fathers, the patriarchs, right? And the workers... You could say the middle class of the mothers, the workers of the children, but generally uh, it, is, it is believable because that is the experience that women have of the world, right? Of being controlled uh, by uh, brutal patriarchs and not being allowed any say. And the argument against class... Uh, well, one of the main arguments against class conflict is that um, workers can leave, right? But in... Marxism uh, and in socialism, the workers are considered helpless and can't leave. And why is that believable when everybody knows you can quit a job? Well, it's believable because historically women have been functionally completely unable to leave marriages, right? And so it's believable because uh, women uh, can't leave the marriages, can't, can't own property, uh, can't enter into contracts, can't have jobs, remain frivolously or, under, or uneducated. And so the class warfare stuff is simply an expression of patriarchy versus matriarchy, and that's why people believe this nonsense, which is completely non-empirical, because the women feel, and I think somewhat justly throughout history, uh, women feel like proletariats, right? Like they have no choice. And that's, I think that's pretty accurate, right? They were handed off from their father uh, to their husband, and then they take care of their children, and then they take care of their aged father and then they uh, aged parents and then they take care of their aged husbands right and act as uh, babysitters for their grandchildren right so then don't feel free and of course it won't throughout history and so the idea that uh, 
that the, the workers have no choice, the workers have no options, the workers have no recourse, and the you know capitalists own and run everything, uh, that's that's just husband wife throughout history. It had nothing to do with economic reality, and certainly that was how Marx saw his family. And as uh, support, I'm not saying proof, but as strong support for that, I would uh, point out the not inconsiderable fact that Marxism and socialism have taken root in those countries and cultures where the women are the most oppressed, where it's not, where it's managed to win over against religion, uh, where uh, women are like, so Russia was never supposed to be a candidate for socialism because Russia hadn't even entered the capitalist phase yet, but Russia became communist because Russian women were pretty much the most oppressed and abused, right? Uh, in, um, in the Western or quasi-Western world at the time, right? So that would be one example. And if you look at the way that communism and socialism has entered into cultures like Korea or Cambodia or Vietnam or whatever, well, it's, uh, these are brutal on women. And where women have been the most free, uh, such as uh, uh, America, well, uh, that's a pretty strong uh, bulwark and, and England, right? It's a pretty strong bulwark against communism. So I just sort of wanted to point that out as a, a way of understanding why caste conflict is so believable to people, even though it makes no sense. And it's entirely bigoted, right? How many people have actually even met one of these capitalists, right? <laughs> How many people would be confused about whether or not you could quit a job in a relatively free market? But uh, it's believable because it is a mirror of familial gender contra- uh, conflicts throughout, throughout history. So uh, that would be uh, something that I would propose as a way of understanding some of the difference between the Republican and Democrat side. Now, of course, the terrible thing that occurs, and this is a uh, horrifyingly consistent pattern over human history, which in the future we, of course, are attempting to change, but the tragedy is that women feel uh, powerless, right, in, in history and in many places in their relationships. And some of that is, you know, because of nasty patriarchy, and some of that is biological facts about dependence, right? And so, what happens is, when you feel powerless towards a more proximate or local authority figure, you have this, there's this great temptation, which seems completely overwhelming and irresistible to people at all times and in all places. And I can sort of understand why, but there's this irresistible temptation when you feel dominated and controlled by an omnipotent or virtually omnipotent or effectively omnipotent local authority is to to wish to invent a super authority that can save you. Right? So, to take a, an example which sort of falls in line with what we were talking about earlier, uh, one of the first uh, one of the first movements that women's suffrage gave rise to was, you know, Christian Women's Temperance Union and so on was prohibition, right? It was banning of alcohol. Well, why would women want to ban alcohol? Well, women want to ban alcohol because their men were often drunkards and they were powerless to leave their husbands and they were powerless to control their drinking and so they wanted, because they were so oppressed by 
a violent and arbitrary local authority, i.e. drunken husband, who, you know, pissed away all their money and beat the kids and beat them and so on. They viewed alcohol as the problem, and of course it is a huge problem. But because they were helpless in the face of this local and brutal patriarchy uh, with the the alcoholic husband, they appealed to an omnipotent, all-powerful external authority to control the local authority that was oppressing them in, in fact, right? And this, oh man, it's just brutal. It's just brutal, right? So, if women had uh, husbands who wouldn't save for their old age, right? Just wouldn't save for their old age. Well, they couldn't convince their husbands to save for their old age. And so what they would, what they got behind, and I'm generalizing, but you know, forgive me, what they got behind was Social Security, which forces men, so, so to speak, to save for their old age. Right? It's like, well, you're not going to set aside 10% of your paycheck. I'm going to have the government do it. Right? So that I am not dependent. I, as a wife, am, and my old age is not dependent upon you and your inability to save, right? So, especially because I'm going to live longer than you in general, right? So that aspect of things was really important as well. When women feel oppressed by a local authority, uh, an immediate, real, patriarchal, usually, authority, they have this fantasy that this external authority called the state will save them, right? Now, of course, they know the state's mostly populated by men, and this is the white knight, right, coming to save them from their fate, right? And they just have, you know, in the classic fairy tale, generally just has to sit there and look pretty, right? And in this uh, fairy tale of statism, they just have to vote, right? And to lobby their congressmen and so on, and then congressmen will give them their goodies in exchange, right? And of course, all that happens is they do gain some measure of security, right? Um, a woman whose husband would not save for her old age did gain some security from old age pensions, of course, right? But, as we talked about in the recent True News 38 and 39 on unions, particularly 38, uh, you pay for everything you get, or rather, your children pay for everything you get, right? So, I think that's I think that's a really important aspect to, to, to look at, that. and you can see this showing up over and over again, right? This uh, local, uh, you know, for every Darth Vader, there's a fantasy Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? And this uh, fantasy that because we are oppressed by a local dictator, we are going to create an abstract uh, remote dictator who's going to serve our benefits, not his, right? And if you sort of understand this aspect, and we still are, believe it or not, talking about Democrats, right? (laughs) But if you understand this aspect that uh, the, the state is created to save you from local familial despotism, um, I think it's easy to understand how the idea that communism was going to create a dictatorship of the proletariat, right? It was going to be this abstract authority that was going to save you from this local despotism called a capitalist boss or a foreman or something. Well, it's believable because everybody's lived it familiarly, and then it's abstracted and exploited at the political and philosophical level. Right, so if we remember the distinction that we're working with here, that 
as always, of course, the country represent the tribe. Then for Republicans, for the masculine, right, the, the threat comes from two, two groups, right? Those outside the tribe who might usurp his power and those within the tribe, particularly the young males within the tribe, who are uh, a threat, right, to his waning power as he ages. Whereas, in, and, and so that's why you get this Republican hostility towards outsiders and the young, young men, right? Long-haired hippie, blah, 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 right? Unless those young men are in the service of elderly power in the form of the military. And, you know, firefighters, police, and so on. They love those guys because they are, you know, but the men who aren't, the young men who aren't are, you know, real threats, right? And it's all very, you know, it's all very Planet of the Apes, but this is the level at which most people no matter how sophisticated their abstractions are fundamentally operating on. Right, we are abstracting apes. <laughs> That's most of, uh, of what is called passes for thinking. Right, so for Republicans, a threat comes from the outside and the threat comes from the young, because it's patriarchy. But for the Democrats, the threat comes from within the tribe. Right? Because it is the patriarchy which is within the tribe. And the, there's a lot of sympathy for the young Right? Because generally, when uh, children are young, they align with their mothers, right? Uh, young men, to some degree, uh, but um, when children are young, their allegiance is more towards their mother than their father, which is why the Democrats, based on you know, this sort of feminine uh, approach, um, view uh, the, thre the threats as coming from within society, from the hierarchy within their own society, and are international in flavor. Uh, and uh, more friendly towards young, the young, than uh, than Republicans are, right? Because women face threats from within the tribe in the form of the patriarchal hierarchy, and gain more sympathy from their own children, and therefore are more friendly towards the young than Republicans are. Now, here the objection may be raised, and it may not be the first objection that's raised, but still, we'll talk about it. The objection can be raised and say, Steph, well, if if uh, women uh, and Democrats are against war, then why um, were women for uh, so many women for the war in Iraq, the war Afghanistan, and so on? Well, women tend to cleave to the patriarchy when there's an external threat, right? They'll re re return their allegiance to the patriarchy when there's an external threat, because better the devil you know, right? So that's one aspect. But the second aspect, which I think is interesting, it's a clever answer, maybe too clever. You can be the judge, or a judge. Um, which is that women tend to be, and Democrats tend to be, pro-war but anti-draft. Right? Pro-war but anti-draft. And why would that be the case? I think it's an interesting question. My answer to that would be that uh, women, of course, have this deep-seated hatred of the patriarchy, and therefore to the men who support the patriarchy. Now, in a, volunt quote, volunteer army, those who join up are those who are going to be part of the brutal hierarchy that oppresses women, right? And therefore having those people killed off, really not so bad, right? It's their way of striking back against the patriarchy by bleeding off the supporters of the patriarchy. But if there's a draft, then they're bleeding off potential supporters, right? Plus they can't raise their own children to avoid military service and so on, right? So women tend to be a little bit more pro-war, but not pro-draft, whereas a lot more men tend to be pro-draft, 
uh, at least certainly on the Republican side. But I think that's an interesting aspect, that it does bleed off those who will oppress the women in the patriarchy to have those who are supporting the patriarchy go off and die in a war. Again, I'm not saying if it's conscious, but I think it's there. Now, another interesting thing that I mentioned, by the by, while it's on my mind, is that the the brutal and overt violence of uh, fascistic or patriarchal or republican or whatever you want to call them kinds of societies tend to be those which end up provoking rebellions, the most rebellions, whereas rebellions don't so much occur in the uh, more feminized or democrat style of uh, dictatorship. And I think that's partly because the, um, you know, the, the brutality of violence is easier to identify and respond to as opposed to the sort of slow strangulation and suffocation that occurs through uh, you know, guilt, right? The slow strangling nets of guilt and obligation and, and so on. And uh, so you would see rebellions in, you know, under... Like the Americans had a rebellion, uh, the Russians under communism did not, because communism is more uh, feminine than fascism. And this, by the by, is why people who have two abusive parents often find it easier to separate from the father than from the mother, because violence can be resisted uh, through simple reaction formations, but uh, guilt and obligation can't be. It requires self-knowledge and strict philosophical wisdom, so... Anyway, that's uh, the beginning. There's more to talk about. If you're interested in this topic, that's the beginning of my talk about the Democrats. Uh, I hope that that's of interest to you. Uh, I look forward to your donations. Remember, I did just get hit with a rather brutal $4,300 silver bill. So if you have any change and you find these kinds of conversations useful, please to send to Free Domain Radio to help spread the wisdom that we are enjoying. Thank you so much.